Welcome to Yoga Wisdom, questions about how to live your yoga in daily life, answered by Integral Yoga founder Sri Swami Satchidananda. Good and evil is nothing but uh, one and the same thing on, two, on the other side of the coin. It's, uh, there's actually, in the nature, there's nothing good and nothing bad. Plug your lamp, it's good. You get light. Plug your fingers, <laughs> it's bad. So by plugging your finger, you call it bad. Plugging a lamp, you get good. You call it good. Who makes it good and who makes it bad? You. The same thing. Scented cream and this and that, it is good. When it falls down, it's bad, death. A right thing in a wrong place, <laughs> that's all bad. <laughs> Again, it's, it is almost impossible to get rid of the desire because even if you desire to get rid of the desire, that itself becomes a desire then. So the best way is, still the mind has to desire something, so desire such things which would not bring you a karma. That means a selfless desire. Because a desire mainly for your sake brings the result for you. And you have to undergo that. See, the fruit of your desire, if you want it, then to enjoy the fruit you have to take a birth. If you desire certain things for the benefit of others and not for your enjoyment, others get the fruit and you don't get it. So you don't need to face that or you don't need to take a birth to enjoy the desire. Yeah, if you regard others like you regard yourself, why should you want Well, if you regard your, if you regard others, others as yourself, then you have attained what is to be attained. Why worry about it? If you regard others as yourself, then you will still be doing something for yourself, is it not? So do it to others also, because they are nothing but yourself. It is easy to say, if I regard her as myself, when a fruit is given to me, I may put it in her mouth and say, I ate it. <laughs> I have to do that. <laughs> it's easy to say. But when we really experience it, then all our actions become selfless. Because when I do something to her, I'm not doing to anybody, I'm doing to myself. But I am not the self anyway. I am, I am the self. So I am not hungry. I am doing it to the body. Why should you do it to the body? Why should the body survive? A desirous person, why should he even eat? Eating itself is a desire, is it not? Why should he eat? To live. Why should he live? To serve. To serve. Serve others. 
So, to serve others, you eat. So, even your own eating becomes a karma yoga. If you are not serving others, you don't need to eat. If you don't use the car, why should you fill the gas tank? Hmm? No need. So a karma yogi will not even eat for his sake. He is just filling the gas tank to serve others. His very life itself becomes a karma yoga. He is not even living for his sake. So in that state he is free from all karma. Even though he seems to be doing some things, he is not affected by it because he is not doing it for his sake. As such, there is no need for him to take a birth. The birth ends for such a person. And the, this is the fundamental truth which you see in most of the religions also. Every religion says, be selfless, do everything in the name of God, not for yourself, renounce, dedicate, sacrifice. What is it? What is to sacrifice? The selfishness. Offer everything to God. Why should we offer fruit to God? Not that the God is eating all the fruits we offer. The idea is offer the fruit of your life to God. That is the reason we even go and bow down, saying, I am your instrument. I am offering myself to you. You do everything through this. I have no personal interest for anything. Surrendering. It's all different terms used to achieve the same purpose. Buddha call it nirvana. So if we know the essential purpose behind all this, then we can understand our religion better. Blessed are the poor. Eh? What is poverty then? Who is a poor man? The one who doesn't have anything for himself. Hmm? Is it not? Then that means he must be a total renunciate. He would not be even doing anything for himself. Then he is a poor man. So we, we get the proper meaning for poverty, embracing poverty. Poverty doesn't mean that you throw everything and run into a jungle and build a teepee and sit underneath. Even the teepee can become your palace then. You will be so attached to your teepee. How many times do you see rich people leave their home, palatial home, Go to Vermont, build a teepee. It's a smart teepee. <laughs> what does it mean then? They renounce the palace, they are attached to a teepee. Instead, if you can live wherever you want, do whatever you do, keep everything for yourself, but don't treat that they are yours. You are keeping them for the benefit of the humanity. Like a, a bank teller. He goes there, he opens a chest of drawer, he gets millions of dollars, bundles after bundles. Still he feels he has no money for himself. 
He handles the money, but the bank's money, not his money. So maybe we are all becoming trustees then. We never came with anything, we cannot go with anything. Even this body and the name is not yours. Who gave you the body? Your mama. She ate all the calcium, phosphorus, iodine and this and that. <laughs> Made the body for you. And then you say, it's my body. <laughs> so it's mama's body. And who gave you the name? The parents gave you the name. You didn't even have the name before. What was our first name, you know? Our very first name. the delivery room, all the relatives were waiting outside eh, to hear the cry of the baby. As soon as they hear the cry, the nurse walks out, and the relatives and friends say, hey, what is it? What is it? Don't you ask that? Huh? And that's your name. What is it? And then the nurse tells you, it is a boy or a girl. So your first name is it. <laughs> what is it? Huh? Isn't it? Huh? And then that it becomes Jacob or Joni or Marilyn or Monroe or whatever. Hmm? And that's why you come as it and you go as it. Towards the very end, what do they say? Take it away. <laughs> and that's your last name as well. Hmm? Do they say, take Joni away? <laughs> take it away. Hmm? Um, uh, some spiritual leaders, well, I've read um, uh, different leaders saying that they feel that there's something very special about these times, that there seems to be a time of great spiritual transformation, that many leaders, spiritual leaders, have come out from um, wherever they were to share a message. I see that you concur. Can you say something? Yeah, that? it is like that. We have four seasons in a single year. Mm -hmm. huh? Spring comes when everything comes out. Like that, each cycle is a season mm -hmm. for the universe. The entire universe changes. For the whole world, maybe this is a spring. It's like yearly four seasons. There are sensory seasons. It's all natural phenomena at the proper time. When the souls are ready, certain things happen. Do you have any idea of what brought us here or how we, how we come by this? Oh, you time? were all once in India. <laughs> <laughs> you were all in India before huh? as real good yogis. But uh, somehow, when you saw the West, you wanted a real nice, comfortable home and uh, big car and a big television and this and that. Why did we want that? I don't know, because you saw some people coming around with things and you heard a lot about it and newspaper people said that probably you wanted it. And then because of your desire, you say, okay, then go to America, be born there and enjoy all the televisions. And you enjoyed it and that didn't bring you real happiness and that enjoyment is over. Now you are remembering all the Indian things back again. 
But unfortunately, you can't go back to India, so you are bringing India here to yourself. Do you think the development of uh, female consciousness is uh, having uh, a great effect on spiritual transformation? What a loaded question. This is uh, actually, this is not the first time. This all cycle again and again. There were times where even males and females, there was a time when the male wanted equanimity. With women. Yeah, yes, equality with women. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's it just <laughs> it, 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 there was a time like that. The male were more or less suppressed. And then they agitated and then they pushed them back. Now you are coming up. It's just always like this. Goes up and down. Yeah. Like countries, like people. Cultures, Roman culture, another culture, Indian culture. It's all just, everything has its own season. Even all these gods, paraphernalia, gods' names, hmm, they all have time. Because it's all still worldly. They, they have to change. Many, many holy places become deserts. Deserts become holy places. It's happening. So these are all natural phenomena. We have to just accept it. Swamiji, um, I was um, I wasn't quite. I felt that your answer about good and evil was too simple. My mind thought that. Yes, and because we are not uh, happy with uh, simple things, we want something complicated. Right. Yes. So give me something <laughs> a little more complicated. Here, this is my question. Um, I was reading Radha Krishna the other day. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about in the, in the book that he felt that each people had a need to express their own particular soul. And he was talking about um, India when it was colonized by the British and feeling the need for independence. So it seemed that he perhaps, I don't know, it seemed that he might have thought that colonialization was bad or it was undesirable. I don't know what word he would use. But there was something that indicated that he did not feel comfortable with that situation because it didn't allow for the expression of India's soul. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet I understood you to say that there was no such thing as good and evil or that somehow it's simply in the eye of the witness, the, the person viewing it. Is, is that yes. the, where is the evil there? Colonialism is evil? No. It brought its own beauty to India. Indians learned a lot from uh, British people, British rule, because they were more or less very lazy and uh, somehow they were fighting among themselves. Because of their local fights, another rule came in. And when the Britishers came, all these people were brought together under one regime. What is it that motivates people to say they want to throw off the, the rule of the British? Their own well, perception that it's evil? No, they are not, uh, they don't have any hatred against the British people. When no. they came in, they slowly started dominating. They came to help, but they started suppressing people. So they have their own time also. The cycle is over, they have to go. And another conscience came up. 
They enjoyed what they could. But if they have ruled with the good heart, they could have still stayed there. They were a little too greedy. But you say if they had ruled with a good heart? Yes. So we make it, that's what it is. With the good heart you won't, you won't go and put your fingers there. It's our own improper approach makes it bad, that's what I see. India became bad to them because their approach was like that. India by itself, or as a matter of fact, nothing is good or bad. That's what Poison, can you say good or bad? Poison. Hmm? I don't want it in me. Well, sometimes doctor give it to you. <laughs> hmm? it's sometimes, sometimes poison becomes medicine. It saves you from <laughs> trouble. So if it is administered properly at the proper time, it becomes nectar. Other times it kills people. So you can't just label poison is bad. If poison is bad, we won't be having it in bottles in the hospitals. What I mean to say is, nothing is bad if you know how to use it. Nature has never created anything bad here. I won't say even a thief is bad, no. The thieves are there to make the rich misers <laughs> realize that <laughs> it's not going to stay with them always. Yeah. Government will not go and open the safe and take out everything from a miser. Somebody has to teach him. He should not be a miser. Who can teach? Only a thief. You know what has, uh, what has bothered me often about uh, some of the uh, spirit, some of the people that I have known who have become followers of different disciples is that they renounce many parts of themselves, their sexuality, uh, and they, they become more like uh, Catholic school children who wait until they're married before they have sexual love, etc. Um, I would like to hear what you have to say. Well, it's, uh, it's because they wait, they don't want to waste anything. They want to wait until they get the real good food to eat. They don't want to nibble around and spoil their hunger. If you really want to enjoy a, a dinner, a well-prepared dinner, you can be nibbling constantly this and that, and when the dinner comes to the table, you lose all the appetite already. So they are preparing themselves. When the proper time comes, they will enjoy. They are the people who will enjoy a real sexual life, not the people who constantly nibble around. <laughs> not that they are against... We are not against it. We got, Well, of course, uh, we, we never recommend suppressing anything. If you are hungry, you should eat. If you are not hungry, wait. And if you really want to enjoy something, feel a little hunger so that you can enjoy it well. In fact, sexuality is not against uh, spiritual teaching. Who said that? We don't reject that. We don't insist that people should stay away from that. We only say, if you want to enjoy, 
wait till you get the right time, till you are really matured and enjoy it with proper person. Not just go on, keep on simply nibbling here and there and you are not really enjoying. What is enjoyment after all? When can you say you are enjoying something when you can, won't get caught in it? Is it not? Yes. Well, without any fear, you should enjoy something without any fear. And you should be able to experience even that sexual act very well. But if you excess, if you go excess in it, you lose the interest in it, you won't be able to enjoy anymore. If a person has dates every day, he won't enjoy the act. It becomes very stale. A feast is a feast if it happens once a month or so. <laughs> so this is something very sacred. You are enjoying it as a feast. How does it become very sacred? Anything that you enjoy well is a sacred thing, a treasure. Anything that you value much is a sacred one, he says, not in a religious sense or anything. The sacred means the one that you really enjoy it. You treasure it as your wealth. You don't make it cheap. Suppose, imagine, you have a very valuable jewel, all bedecked with nice diamonds and this and that. You won't wear it every day for your normal functions. You will keep it safely. On special occasions you will wear it. Is it that? Huh? Yeah. It is so. Ordinary diamond, imitation diamonds, you can just wear because even if you lose, it doesn't matter. Anything that you value more, you will keep it a little more separately. You will use it with all reverence. You won't make it cheap. That's why even a girl, when she gives herself to a boy, she should not make it cheap. If she is available to him, every time you'll just pull, give a hug, give a kiss, go away, finish. Then nobody is really enjoying it. It's not just that easy. Doesn't he have responsibility too in not making his act cheap? She too, yes. Both, I say. Both should have the responsibility. Not for the sake of other person, for their own real enjoyment. The familiarity breeds contempt, we say. The other day when I was in New Zealand, I just read a small caption under a calendar. Uh, the, uh, uh, what do you call it? Something like... Uh, The excitement of uh, I don't know what term I forgot. Love making or excitement being boyfriend and girlfriend is lost, is totally ruined when he, when they marry. Mm. Why? Because once you marry, then you become hers and she becomes yours. And then, oh, it's mine, that's all. It's there. Hmm? Familiarity. 
As long as she was not yours, you will look for her. For her. Every day you will dream. Once she becomes yours, ah, oh, she's my wife. Okay, be there. I look for somebody else. Anything that is very easy, easily available, you lose its charm. That's why great things, nice things, valuable things must be dear to you. That's why even the, the term dear has two meanings. When you say, call something my dear, it should be very dear to you, not easily available. Well, actually, asceticism is not to go to the extremes. The discipline, discipline life is what is meant by asceticism. Control of senses doesn't mean destruction of the senses. You don't need to kill the ego, you don't need to destroy the senses, but keep it under control. Use it well. But unfortunately, in the name of asceticism, some people go to the other extreme in starving and simply destroying the body. Well, it's particularly a tradition of being not sexual, renouncing sexuality. Well, that is not mainly because of asceticism. No, it's not an ascetic thing. The, the celibacy came mainly because a man who doesn't want to, celib to be a celibate means he is a married man. That means he has a family responsibility. That means he has a personal life, family life. And then he can't spend 100% of his time for public life. His life is divided as personal life, public life. And those people who really enjoy serving the humanity 100%, they were not interested in having something for themselves as a public, private life. That is why they embrace celibacy. That means they don't want to marry, not because it is against religion or spirituality or that because you marry you won't get God. They say, well, I don't want to keep a separate, take a part of my time to family respond. Let me hundred percent be free. That is the idea. But unfortunately it has become a must. You must be a celibate. That is where even Vatican is shakes now. Hmm? Yeah. The, the prestige celibacy problem came because they made it as a canon. Even in Vatican I asked them, I said, why do you fire canons against these priests? Why don't you just advise them? Even the very tame, firing canon is violent. The rules are not canons to be fired at. They are for your convenience, for your understanding. They should be helpful. In fact, many priests became really celibates after talking to me. They came, Catholic priests, they came and asked me, so I don't understand why the Vatican insists on this. Tell me. Then I said, well, what is your intention? If your intention is to serve everybody, whole time, without taking any time for yourself. If you are totally living for the sake of others, don't take a separate responsibility for you. 
That is the reason you are not asked to marry. But if you want to marry, marry. Then whatever spare time you have, give it to me. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this Integral Yoga Multimedia Podcast. We hope you'll subscribe. For more information on Sri Swami Satchidananda and Integral Yoga, please visit us online at integralyoga.org.